0: But for now we are going to carry on with our series that we are on at the moment, which is called Outbox. Who was here last week for Matt kicking off our first one in Outbox? Yeah, good show of hands. So Outbox is our series, which is about the power of a message that sometimes doesn't get through. How many of you have ever sent an email and then you ask someone about it, hey, why haven't you replied to my email? And they say, well, I never got your email. And it turns out it's stuck in your outbox. It never sent. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, so we are thinking about, is there a message that God has that he wants to send out to his people, but it's got stuck, it's got lost somewhere in transit. What is that about? And what's our role in delivering that message? And so we're going to be thinking this morning, Matt spoke last week about how some of us are called to go, to go out there and deliver. This week, I'm going to be thinking about what are we called to carry and how are we called to carry that message? But before I kick all of that off and start thinking about that and looking at some of what the Bible tells us about that, I want to share with you a bit of of a video in a second. Because it's been an interesting time in politics, hasn't it, recently? Whether you're pro or anti or whatever you think. These politicians, I mean, they've really got it all figured out, haven't, haven't they? We're so glad that they're all so much in charge of the situation yeah, they totally know what's going on. Apparently, Brexit is one of the most Googled terms at the moment, as everybody else tries to figure out what on earth is actually going on. We're not totally sure. What I loved, though, in the last couple of weeks was the video I'm going to show you in a minute, which was one woman who I think said what we're all thinking without actually saying a word. And it's the lady who does, who does the sign language for BBC News. Has anybody seen this video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she went slightly viral, because in one of the moments, it was that day that they all kept resigning. Just all of them kept resigning. And um, she was doing the sign language over the top of the guy who was trying to explain what on earth was going on, and there's something in her facial expressions which I think says it all. Uh, Gary, let's let's just show the video and then we'll all You're have a look in at the it. Chamber now, from MPs on all sides in all parties, both pro and anti Brexit, <laughs> over her agreement. It was you know more than an hour. It's <laughs> good. Do you want to watch it again? yeah yeah go on Gary share it again because it's just a short clip I love her thing of like you and what I have no she's like I don't know what they're talking about this is proper nuts yeah, agreement. It was, you know, more than an hour, and she went totally viral. Uh, they just did some stills of her facial expression. She's like, "What on earth are these people doing?" I love it because it felt like what she was saying with no words just expressed perfectly what everyone was feeling and thinking in that moment. It's it's amazing how powerfully we can communicate things sometimes even without words, isn't it? And she did an amazing, amazing job of that. What I want to look at this morning, so, is something about how communicating a message is so important. And I'm going to share with you a few things that were written by a guy called Paul. Now, Paul was one of the early Christians. He wasn't a Christian at the time that Jesus was actually on the earth. In fact, he started out killing Christians, but that's another story. He had this experience You'll have heard of a road to Damascus experience and Paul was the guy who, who that was named after because he was on the road actually on his way to go and try and find more Christians to kill when God appeared to him and spoke to him and it changed his whole life and he actually became one of the, the Christians who went and told more people about Jesus than anyone else and he wrote a lot of the books and letters that are in the New Testament. Because these guys right at that time, they were absolutely, on fire for a message which they felt had to be shared. It was so important to them that this was shared. Here's some of um, Paul's musings about this. This is from a letter that he wrote to the Romans at the time. Um, And he's quoting, at the beginning of this passage, an Old Testament text which says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This was a well-known text. All the Jewish people would have known this text. And he's quoting it, and it's almost like he's musing out loud here in his letter, thinking, well, hang on, hang on, but what about that? And he says this, he says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? It's like he's thinking this through thinking, hang on. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But that's not going to happen by magic. There's other things that have to happen first in order for people to access this amazing truth that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This will change their life. It's changed Paul's life. But he's thinking, there's some other stages here. And you can kind of see there's four stages that he's thinking about as he's musing this in that passage, which you can see now up on the screen. There are four things that have to happen. And you can kind of think of it this morning from from top down. We'll start at the top. Because he's thinking, first of all, if if people are going to call on the name of the Lord, if they're going to do this, they have to believe it. Something has to happen in their hearts. The Bible talks literally of a revelation, like an unveiling of your eyes. One minute you couldn't see something and the next you can see something. And, And therefore you come to believe in it. That word literally means you become persuaded to trust in it. All the things that you've heard and seen and experienced change your perspective so that you come to believe and trust in it. It's a supernatural thing that has to happen in people's hearts. But in order for that to happen, there's something else that has to happen underneath it, which is that you have to hear the message. And and again, the word that Paul's using there, it doesn't just mean audibly hear it, like you guys are hearing me now. It means you have to listen, you have to understand, you have to take it on board, like some of you are doing now. Hopefully most of you, the ones who aren't asleep. Okay, some of you aren't asleep. Good, good. That's good to know. So people have to hear something and then they have to respond to it. They have to become convinced so that they believe. That hearing, there's more than just that human level though. Again, both of these feel like something supernatural has to happen. Most of us who haven't grown up in a Christian family but who have come to believe it at some point in our lives would identify with that, that we've, we've heard a message maybe many times but there's a moment when suddenly we hear it and it, and it affects us, it sinks in in a deeper way, and then we become persuaded by it, it becomes something that we trust in, it becomes something, and there's a moment when we make a decision to change the way that we're living as a result. So those two feel quite supernatural, which is quite reassuring to me, because I'm thinking that there's, I'm not so involved in those, maybe. But the two at the bottom are really interesting that Paul also talks about, because for someone to hear the message... Somebody somewhere has to share it. Yeah, now this is starting to feel a little bit more uncomfortable for me now. Somebody needs to speak out. Literally, that word is about sharing publicly, being open. Somebody has to talk about what they've experienced in order for somebody else to have even the opportunity to hear and respond to it. Somebody has to share it. Because frankly, if none of us do that, then no one will ever hear it. That's just, that's just logic, isn't it? And even below that, there's another thing that therefore has to happen, which is that somebody, like Matt talks about, needs to recognise the calling to go. That's... Word go is the word, the same word that apostle comes from. So um, it's, it's literally the verb where apostle is the noun, saying that some of us, we need to recognise that we're called, that we're sent, that we're given a job to do a specific individual job that only we can do, that we are sent to do this, to go out, to share, to tell somebody, some people about the experience that we've had with God, to carry this amazing message out there. Because if we don't do that bottom one, if we don't recognise that we're called to do it, if we don't then share, then the two at the top, it doesn't matter how supernatural they are, they just can't happen. It's not magic. It requires something of us To recognize our calling and then to go out and, and do it. And it's interesting, what I want to ponder on this morning is that question then of, okay, so who's actually called to do this? Because I would quite like it not to be me, actually. I don't know if anybody else feels like this might be a job for someone else. Anybody else feeling like that this morning? you know like, Matt, he's very bounced, he's a good evangelist. That should definitely his job, or, or maybe some other people. It's interesting when we think about who and how in our 21st century culture where we've started to get more and more of a culture of expertise and brilliance in speaking, haven't we? And particularly in the church, it's good. We've started to really pick up what we're doing. But I think sometimes it it gives us a bit of an interesting perspective on who might be called to go and share and makes us think perhaps it wouldn't be us so this is a picture you'll see on the screen. This is the um, HTB Leadership Conference which is held in the Albert Hall every year. And this year, I, I was, it was amazing. I had the privilege of being asked to speak, not in the Albert Hall, let me be clear, in one of the other venues. But I got to be there. It was amazing. And you've got this room with thousands of people, this amazing venue. And you can see right at the bottom left there, you can see Nikki Gumbel, who is talking to a guy called John Maxwell, who's a really famous, famous leadership guy and also an amazing Christian. He was brilliant. So they, right down there, are talking to all of those thousands of people. And this is what we can think is the way it's supposed to happen. It's about somebody brilliant, one or two people who have this special gifting and anointing and brilliance in speaking, and they tell everybody else, preferably it's a big conference. And if we have to do anything, it's just about persuading someone to go or maybe sharing the YouTube clip on Facebook. That's basically how we see it happening. It's our culture of of, of expertise. But what I want to raise a question to you this morning is, is that actually the way that God intends things to work? That he actually intends his message to be carried? Is it just about the one or two amazing people who get to speak in these sorts of venues? Or is it something much, much more ordinary. And I want to talk to you about a passage that Paul writes, the same guy, in a letter to a bunch of different people, to some people living in a town called Corinth. And he's talking about his own experience of what God has said to him about how this message is carried. And he's talking about how and why he became someone Who actually did carry this message in a significant and powerful way, literally devoted his life to it. So if you want to follow on, it will be on the screen, but we're in 1 Corinthians 2 right at the beginning. And this is what he says He says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power interesting, isn't it? Again, we live in a culture where amazing communicators and amazing speakers are literally at the click of a mouse, or they're downloaded directly onto your phones. Podcasts, TED Talks, all this stuff. It's so easy for us to think that the people who should be sharing this message are those people. And maybe one day, maybe I should, but only when I'm that good, when I've practised and I've put together such a perfected little speech that I can deliver it just like those amazing TED Talk people. They don't have any notes. They don't stumble. their word perfect. It's impressive. They even look good on the photos. That's what we think. If we're ever going to do it, that's where we should be at. But Paul is saying, no, that actually isn't his experience at all. And more than that, he's saying that there's something special, something significant, something even powerful in the fact that it isn't through that that is the way that God speaks to ordinary people out here living ordinary lives. So let's look at what Paul says. So first of all, what he says is some stuff about what he didn't have. This is, this is good news for someone preaching this message, by the way. It's quite encouraging to know that it's not necessary to have any of those things. So he doesn't have eloquence. He doesn't have wisdom. Wouldn't it be interesting if you came to listen to his talk and the first thing they said was, I have no eloquence and I have no wisdom. You'd be like, okay, I think I might have somewhere else to be. But this is what he's saying. He didn't come with those things. Literally, from the words he's using... He's saying he wasn't selected as a superior speaker. Paul would never have been asked to do a TED Talk on anything. He just wasn't one of those people. He wasn't someone selected because of his brilliance in communication, but God did choose him. So why? He says he didn't bring wise or persuasive words at all. So I'm thinking if I'd interviewed him for the job, he might not even have got it. Why on earth did God choose him? And I want to talk to you about three things, therefore, that he did bring and how this whole thing is a massive encouragement, but also a big push to all of us in this question of who carries the message. So the first thing that Paul did bring, he speaks about here. He says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ. What Paul brings is an absolute clarity of his motivation. What is the most important thing to Paul? It is what has just happened with Jesus. It is what he has come to understand about God. It is the thing that has changed his life above anything else, that has totally changed his direction and his purpose, that has made him realise that everything he understood was wrong. That is his absolute pure passion and his focus and his vision. And therefore, in all the things that he does, he resolves that that's the only thing he wants to be thinking about. His vision is entirely on what is God doing in that moment. He doesn't want to be distracted by anything else. I imagine that in every conversation that he had, that's what he's thinking. What is God doing here? Because he's given his whole life up to this stuff. So how do we do that? How would it change our conversations if our focus was on that spiritual perspective? It's so hard, isn't it? Just in the everyday, to lift your head up to a more godly perspective, to think, what might God be saying in this conversation? You know, as you're trying to get your kids into school and also have a chat with someone at the same time, or as you're trying to get some work done and someone else is coming and talking to you and you really just want to get this work done, but they want to have a conversation, and everything in you just wants to tell them to go away, but is there something God's doing in that moment? That person at the supermarket queue who just starts chatting to you and you're like, seriously, that's just weird. Or is there something that God's nudging you on Is there something that person needs to hear? How would it change our conversations if we, like Paul, had that spiritual perspective, that vision? When he says, I resolve to know nothing, that word know means perceive, understand. It's about looking below the surface. He's made a decision to try and focus and to ask of God, what are you doing in this moment? So that's the first thing that he brings the second thing he brings is absolutely fascinating. And, and this is something that I love about the way that God has chosen to work on this earth. But it's a total paradox to us. Because what Paul says is, I came to you in not strength, not brilliance, not utterability or amazing words. He came in weakness. And literally, that word that's translated there is one that means frailty. It means human limitation. Literally, it means handicap. It's about things that hold us back. It means that he came so aware that he wasn't as good as he felt like he should be. That he looked at other people and thought, blimey, they are so much better than I am at this. I wish I could speak like that person could speak. I wish I was as extrovert as that person. I wish I was as confident as that person. I wish I was as good at explaining stuff as that. I am just so limited in this. But that's what he brought. And it's weird, isn't it? Because in our culture, as we chase brilliance more and more, and because of the internet, as we can celebrate and, and give a platform to brilliance more and more, we're, we're developing this superhuman type culture, aren't we? That says that if you want to do anything significant, you must be flipping brilliance. Because look at all these amazing people you can watch on Instagram or YouTube or whatever it is, you know? And we push ourselves more and more because if we want to achieve stuff, we have to be brilliant. You know, when I'm on my social media at the moment, oh, I ke- you know those flipping pop-up ads that keep coming up? Does anyone get those? It tells you a lot about what your social media thinks about you, what pop-up ads you get, doesn't it? Suddenly, all mine are about menopause and waterproof pants. Do any of the other ladies get those or is it just me? The guys are like, what (laughs) anyway when I get away from waterproof pants the other ads I get which shows that it pretty clearly thinks I'm a mixed-up person are those ones about have you seen these apps that what they enable you to do is download books and then listen to them on an audio version at three times the speed I know, what? Who does that? And apparently it's because if you want to be great, all the great CEOs read like a million books a week. And apparently this is how they're doing it. They're listening to them with chipmunk voices at three times the speed. Yeah, apparently... Who does that? Seriously, if any of you actually do do that, you don't have to admit it now, but do come and see me afterwards if I've got it totally wrong and actually this is a good thing to do. Me, I'm thinking this is nuts. If I want to read a book, I want to read a book and actually take it in and enjoy it. and get so Reading it like that just feels weird. But it's part of this superhuman push, isn't it? Because if I want to be brilliant, I'm supposed to be some kind of robot, super fast, reading thousands of books every week person. And I just feel flipping exhausted by that. Does anyone else? I just think, well, I don't think I want to be great then, to be honest. I'd rather be sat in my chair with my book just reading it at normal speed. And the thing is is that this superhuman culture, it causes so many of us to count ourselves out because we just think, well, I'm not that. On a good day, I could be moderately Okay. Uh, my job or being a good friend or any of the things that that are important to me right now, but I I can't achieve that. I I can't achieve that kind of brilliance. I'm not superhuman. So we leave it to the Nicky Gumbles or or whoever the people whose podcast you're listening to are this week. Even even at a church level, we think, well, let's leave it to to Matt Summerfield or somebody impressive, that person in our hub or home group who's really good at this stuff because it's just, it's not me. It's just for the superhumans. But what Paul is saying actually is that what he's brought and the reason God has chosen him is because of something that to our 21st century culture is shocking. It's not strength. It's not brilliance. It's actually frailty. In his next letter to these same people, these people in Corinth, he makes this amazing statement that he's learned about how God works. And it's this. He says that God's power... Is made perfect in weakness. Now, that word power is a Greek word, dynamis. It's the same stem that we get our word dynamite. It's the kind of power that can blow apart a situation, that can transform anything, that can bring dramatic change. It's the kind of power that is above anything on this earth the kind of thing you can totally rely on. It's the kind of power we want to see to bring breakthrough and change and miracle in people's lives. It's the kind of power that people desperately call out to in the moments where their human brilliance and knowledge has reached a complete standstill because it has nothing else to offer. And the amazing thing is that that power is made perfect. Literally, that word means it's completed, it's brought to its full potential, released to everything it could be. How? Through weakness. What? What? That's crazy. Surely power should be made complete and released on this earth through brilliance and people who are utterly clever and much better at this than me. No. No. What Paul is saying is something that he's realised about this amazing paradox about how God chooses to act on this earth, not through brilliance or superhuman ability, but through ordinariness, through us. Even more than that, through limitation, through, through the times that we actually feel like we have bring very little to a situation, those moments where, if we're honest, what we're most aware of is how rubbish we are at this how little we bring, how limited we are, how held back we are. Actually, what Paul's saying is that somewhere in the midst of that, something amazing happens in the way that God's power is released. Because what he says back in that first letter is that he didn't bring wise and persuasive words, but what he did bring was something much more important, that demonstration of the Spirit's power. Somewhere in his willingness to step out and speak, even though he was so aware that he wasn't wise, he wasn't eloquent, he wasn't brilliant, no one would ever have chosen him to do this. Somewhere in that there was a power that went beyond human ability, that was the power that we actually all need to see so much. But there's a third thing which he brought that he was willing to bring. This one I like a lot less because he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Anybody else ever found that if they try and do any type of public speaking or say anything about God that their legs start doing this? Yeah, that they just literally shaking because that's how terrifying it was. That's what Paul is saying here. He was shaking. He was flipping terrified. He, this was not enjoyable to him. What he brought was his willingness to make himself vulnerable. Oh, I hate that word. None of us want to be vulnerable. We all think, yes, I will do this in the day when I suddenly feel amazingly confident. You know, when I'm praying about this, my temptation is always to pray like, oh Lord, make me really super confident suddenly so that I can tell people about you and it feels totally natural. And that hasn't happened yet, so it's fine, I don't need to do it. But actually what Paul is saying, no, he was, he was shaking. He was so nervous in what he came. It felt so unnatural to him. He was so aware of how limited he was in this, but he did it anyway. And there's something amazing that happens in the power that's released in that moment when we as limited, rubbish human beings, ordinary people, are willing to step into vulnerability and say something Anything, because notice that Paul didn't deliver an amazing speech that he'd written and crafted that all had five points beginning with the same letter and was utterly convincing. He just bumbled into it. But he didn't do this in some kind of Mr. Bean way where he didn't care that he was bumbling into it and it was fine, he was totally okay with that. He was nervous, he was terrified because he knew he was weak, he was limited, he wasn't very good at it. And as a result, there was a strength that was released why and that's, that's to us that's the mystery we have to get over our human thing of like seriously for this message to be carried really well it should be by brilliant speakers convincing people who can deliver a wonderful argument utterly convince people But no, because what Paul is saying actually is that the reason God sets it up like this is so that when people become persuaded by a message, they know that it's not from human wisdom, but from God's power. It's almost as though he's saying there's a risk if it's too polished, if it's too brilliant, if it's too amazing, they'll write it off. And all of us have probably seen people do that. They see amazing things that God is doing or saying and they're just like, yeah, but it's just a brilliant argument or it's a good show or they just manipulated people's emotions and stuff like that. And this doesn't mean that we should never do this stuff, that we should never have great speakers or big conferences, but it does mean that maybe the the full release of God's power is actually not in those places. It's through something much more ordinary because then if people are persuaded by it, they absolutely know that something supernatural has happened here, that you are carrying something that's so much more than human wisdom But it must be something else. There must be something more, something powerful beyond what you're bringing. If you try and rely on human brilliance and wisdom to convince all your friends that this message of Jesus is true, you will hit limits. You won't manage to convince them. I know, I've tried. You can try and be as brilliant as you like. Usually the person you're talking to to is cleverer than you. If someone wants to pick holes in your argument, they can probably keep doing that because ultimately the amazing paradox about faith is that you can't totally explain it. The Bible says it's being sure of things you cannot see. There is always a step of faith. So human brilliance and cleverness will only take you so far you need something else. And what Paul is saying here is that in our weakness and limitation and in our willingness to step out in vulnerability of that and risk, being laughed at, or being somebody telling us why we're wrong, or any of the things that scare us the most, just being totally ignored, whatever it is that scares you. But there's something powerful about the way that God can act, and something amazing then about what you carry. So, in that second letter that Paul writes to the same people, he has this amazing statement about what it is that we carry. He says, We carry this precious message but we carry it in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives, in our ordinariness, in our limitation, in our weakness, in all the things that hold us back from being all the things that we would love to be. We carry something amazing, something supernatural. So we are not superhuman or super brilliant, but we carry something supernatural with us and it's that, that transforms people. And all we have to do to enable that is say something, anything. It doesn't even matter what. It doesn't need to be brilliant. Just say something because if you say nothing, then you don't release it and you don't even give people the opportunity to hear and believe and those things that that Paul mused on that I talked about at the beginning. So it is in your willingness to step out in ordinariness and frailty and your illiquidness that God's power is released to its full extent on this earth. You know, in that last song that we sang, we, saw, we, we sang, all the earth will sing your praise. Remember that? And we love that because that's what we long for. But how on earth do we think that's going to happen? Through the brilliant people at the conferences, most of my friends aren't at those Or is it going to be in the conversation that you have over a coffee this week, or at the school run, or in the canteen, or when you're stood in the queue at Sainsbury's, or whatever it is? Is it about when someone says to you, oh, where were you this morning? And you say, I was at church. And they're like, oh, right. And then you're like, oh, should I say something? No, I won't say anything. Is it in the fact that you do actually say something? Because actually what Paul is calling us here is to recognise that we as ordinary people are the ones who carry this message. We can't leave it to the few who we see on stage. We all have to act and connect with the people that we come into contact with every day. Otherwise they might never have a chance to know this God who has changed everything. It changed Paul's life. It's changed my life. Has it changed yours? And there are people who will never hear that message and that's what's so crazy about this and I'm the worst amongst this because this has changed everything for me. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. The people who talked to me about God gave me an opportunity to respond which then changed everything. My faith is everything to me. It's my life. It's my friendship. It's my family. It's my purpose. It's my passion. It's everything that I am. It has saved my life and it's given me more and better life than I ever dreamed of. It helps me through the rough times. It gives me a new perspective on the good things. It's everything, so, how could we not share how can I not share this but sometimes i don 't most of the time i don 't Paul is nudging us here to say it is you it 's you. We have to step out and we have to share this in our ordinariness. Just say something, take the opportunities you know you 've got um, flyers for the Carol celebration on your chair. I went to the hairdressers this week and um I got chatting and, and my hairdresser suddenly said to me, she said, oh, she said, so you're, you're like, actually like a vicar, are you? So I was like, well, kind of. Let's not go into it. It's complicated. But yeah, I work, I work for a church. I'm a pastor there. She said, oh, right. She said, you don't strike me as the sort, <laughs> was what she said. So I'm like, I think I'm going to take that as a compliment. So she's like, so what, what, do, what do you do at your church? So I'm, I'm starting to sweat, because you know, it's like, oh my goodness, she's asking me about church. So I, I chat to her a bit. I'm like, oh, you know, it's really different. We're quite a different style church. We're not traditional. We meet in the school. I'm going through all this, and in my head, I'm thinking, invited to the cows, invited to the cows, and I'm like, no, no, invited to the cows, no, invited, and I'm like, seriously. So it's all right because I was having it was a long hairdo, so I had a long time to think about it. And finally, as she's just trimming the final things, I got out the words. Well, we're actually having a Christmas carol thing on the 23rd. Why don't you come? Oh, that was harder than it should have been. And do you know what she said? Yeah. Oh, I, maybe I will. Maybe I will. I'm going to take her a flyer later this week. But maybe that's all you need to do. And it doesn't require you to do the utterly brilliant exposition of the human faith, everything that happened to Jesus, how he gave our lives for our sin, all of the biblical theology, Old Testament, New Testament, bring in the original meaning of the Greek words, all of that stuff. No, all you have to say is, would you like to come? Here's a flyer. I'd love to see you there. There'll be mulled wine. And it might surprise you. Come and see why we do this every week. It could be that simple. What Paul is saying is the only thing you can do wrong Is nothing. So I don't know how you feel today. I don't know how many of you like me feel a bit rubbish at this stuff. I don't know how many of you feel so aware of your limitation as people. How many of you look at other people and think, well, maybe if I could be more like that, then I could do this. But what God is saying to us this morning is we can all do this. It's not about brilliance. It's about your willingness to step out. And speak. So, why don't we we stand for a minute? I'm going to pray. We're going to hand back to the band. Because this is an amazing message, people. We get to carry something that has changed our lives. We have the potential to share with people a message that could change everything for them. We're about to come into the Christmas season. We're celebrating God sending his son onto this earth, shining light into darkness, hope into despair, something that offers everything the world is crying out for, and yet we're, we're not telling people about it. So let's take a moment to pray. You might want to hold your hands out to God. Just, it is just a, It's a recognition of our weakness that we need something from God. I need something from God. I need courage. I need the willingness to be vulnerable. I need the nudge. So, Father God, we thank you for the amazing, confusing, bewildering truth that you choose to act on this earth through us, through our ordinariness, through our limitation, through our weakness, through everything that we think counts us out. You say it counts you in. Father God, I pray you would inspire us this morning, each and every one of us, that your spirit might rest upon us. Help us to see the difference we could make, the light that we carry, the possibility of what it could do if we shared the things that you have done for us with the people who don't yet know you. Lord God, star us up as a church. Fill us with passion. Let it literally overflow from within us so that we cannot help but tell people that you have changed our lives. May we recognise that we don't need to do more than that, that you will do the rest, but make us a people who are willing to speak of you. Don't let this message become trapped and lost because we are not willing to pass it on. May we shine your light into our communities, our friendships, our families, our workplaces, Give us your perspective that we see the possibility of what you long to do in people's hearts.